Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. To hell with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She didn't matter. Oh yeah, sure. I've got I've got the the the, the shirt and says RBG and it shows that little well, that little doily thing she was wearing. Oh yeah. Oh, I talked about her being tough. Well, not me. Them. They. The political left. Oh yeah, she's my hero. Oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I named all my kids. I named one Ruth, one Bader, one Ginsburg. But my last name's Ginsburg. So I got a daughter named Ginsburg Ginsburg. We call her Gigi. That's hilarious. They never cared. They never cared. We should listen to the wishes of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and not replace her on the Supreme Court until a new president is elected. Right? We're supposed to respect her wishes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg opposed packing the Supreme Court. And Democrats have now said to her legacy, this giant of the legal world, this woman amongst women who has been a visionary force for millions of Americans, the Democrats have said, oh, like there was any doubt. It's Tony Katz today. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Great to be with you on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Get the podcast at TonyKatz.com. Democrats now engaged in legislation to expand the Supreme Court. It's referred to as court packing. The Supreme Court is prescribed by the Constitution of the United States. It is the only court put forth in the Constitution. But there is no set number of justices doesn't exist. You can have as many or as few justices sitting on the Supreme Court as you wish. The number that we have had for a great number of years is nine. You could have more. The plan for the Democratic Party is to add six more justices, as I know it, get to 15 justices, make them all leftists, and therefore never lose in the courts. This is about power and control and one-party rule and absolute domination. And they are admitting that they aren't interested in the court as a place that does adjudication. Let me give you an example of two people. Now, I was never a fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's opinions, and I always found the fact that she had a close personal friendship with uh, late Justice Antonin Scalia to be stunning. But, hey, man, things happen like that. But the people I want to bring up are Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor. Elena Kagan was Solicitor General when Barack Obama nominated her to the court. And I said, what, is, what do we know about her? We knew nothing. She was, and I think for many people still is, enigma. But you can take a look at her in decisions, and you can find some decisions where you're like, oh, I agreed with her right there. Oh, I didn't expect her to do that. While she still holds a liberal point of view, I have found a couple of cases, and others who I would say have more expertise than I, more cases where she has put forth an idea, where she has engaged in adjudication. You cannot say the same thing for Sonia Sotomayor. We were told 
by her that the richness of her experiences as a Latina woman, that would help her on the court. There is never a moment that she won't give you the leftist response. Everything she does is based on the overarching politics. I argue she has never actually adjudicated. She has never actually engaged in the judging. She has simply said, where does my vote go? She has never engaged in the judicial process. She has only voted. That is all she has ever done. There's a difference between the two. Ruth Bader Ginsburg opposed court packing. Stephen Breyer, who sits on the court right now, opposes court packing, said you should be very wary of such a thing. What did the left say? Throw him off the court. He should retire. Push him into retirement so you can get somebody else. Because the powers that be, the leftists that really run things, they are in the Sonia Sotomayor camp. Just get the votes. Don't worry about judgment. Don't worry about the Constitution. Don't worry about the rule of law. Find ways to usurp. Right? This has happened uh, in, in the courts repeated, repeatedly. We take a look at, for example, abortion and Roe v. Wade, that's the usurpation of states' rights, and you take a look at the level of manipulation that it took to get them there. How about the idea of the public accommodation? The idea that you uh, serve the person in front of you. Now, I think that's what you should do in a, in a, in a free market, Right? That's exactly what you should do. But the idea that we would say that somehow you have to make the cake or you have to serve this person or that person, not if you believe in real freedom. Remember, real freedom is wicked ugly. (laughs) But it's still the best game going. And it's wicked ugly because you can have people say, nope, I don't serve Jews. Now I'm Jewish. If you say to me, you don't want to serve Jews, I think, believe it or not, you should be allowed to do so. You don't have to serve men. You don't have to serve women. You don't have to serve white people. You don't have to serve black people. You don't have to serve straight people. You don't have to serve gay people. You see how I've done that to make sure nobody uh, writes this up and says, look what Tony Katz said. They got to listen to the entire conversation. Real freedom is ugly. But I favor it. Now, do I think that there are going to be a spate of businesses that say, well, now that we've gotten rid of the public accommodation, we don't serve Jews? No, I don't. Nor do I think there's going to be a grouping of businesses that say we don't serve gay people. Because even the bakeries that disagreed because they didn't want to decorate the cake for a same-sex wedding had no problem selling the cake for the same-sex wedding. They just didn't want to decorate it. I still argue, I I still believe, you know, that it's faith in people. My faith in people is is really unlimited. And sometimes it's tested, right? Sometimes people are just flat out, you know, you know what, nuts. But it's it's them or it's government, so I'm, I'm going with the people. I'm going with the people. 
time and time again. I believe in actual freedom. What we are seeing from the political left on the courts is that they do not. They have Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who they said was a patron saint. They're not listening to. They have Stephen Breyer on the court right now, who they're not listening to. As a matter of fact, they want to throw him off the court. The far left wants to pack the court so no matter what they do, it can be found acceptable. And the answer of why is that the ends justify the means. So what are the ends? The ends are power and control. Now you could say to me, hey, Tony, that's nothing new. That's nothing new. Uh, People want, political parties want power and control. Power and control are won at the ballot box and are checked by the people. If you pack the court, winning at the ballot box becomes inconsequential because you then say that the choices are made by a certain select group of people, confirmed by a certain select group of people, unanswerable to the electorate. Further, you do away with the idea that the minority party or the minority group has rights and should not be subjected to the whims of the majority. That the minority has the opportunity to become the majority. Or, we're speaking of it outside the political, that the minority should not be held in less repute or, 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 or less respect, less fashionable, held down in general. By the majority. Right? Because I disagree with you politically does not mean that I should be limited in my rights. Isn't this exactly what we're seeing from big tech? That is absolutely limiting the political right in terms of speech. They can't deny it. The people who do are laughable. Google and Facebook and and Twitter absolutely are trying to limit the political right. Do we want to have a court that is built on people codifying these desires and codifying limitations on speech? Because the far left has made it clear that they think that hate speech is real and you shouldn't be allowed to say it. I think you should be allowed to say anything you want. I believe in actual freedom. And sometimes in the world of actual freedom, you get Louis Farrakhan. You get that anti-Semite woman-hating bigot. But he's allowed to talk. You'll notice for anything I've ever said about Louis Farrakhan, I've never once said he shouldn't be allowed to speak in the, in, in the public forum. The, uh, the ability to let people speak is about the very concept of civility. Civility is not that you hold the door open for someone and you're like, oh, please, uh, come on in. It's not that you say uh, please and thank you. It's none of that. Civility is about making sure that the minority, not minorities, but the minority, however you, you look at it in this, in this space, has the ability to speak in the public square, and that the majority is never abusing its power to limit the minority. That's civility. Edward Schills does a very good job in, in delineating that. I'm going through his, his essays right now on the subject. Without that, there is no American society. 
When we take a look at what happened to Donald Trump in uh, the, 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 the first impeachment, can you imagine there were two impeachments? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was very clear that they had nothing, but that they were searching for something. Well, searching for something is completely un-American. And that's Representative Adam Schiff, and that's Representative Eric Swalwell. Anti-American in this approach. Their approach was that of Beria. B-E-R-I-A. And I never pronounce his, his name right. I think it's Laverenti. Laverenti. L-A-V-R-E-N-T-I-Y. But the last name is Beria. B-E-R-I-A. And he was the chief of uh, the Soviet uh, security. This uh, during the days uh, of, of Stalin. And his famous line is, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. That is what they did to Donald Trump in that first impeachment. They said clearly, we're not sure what, but we'll find something. That point of view is anathema to the American experience, to who we are, to how we think. Remember, we are innocent until proven guilty. We don't have to speak to the police. We have uh, the right against self-incrimination. And how did the political left play all of this? Well, if he's got nothing to hide, he should speak. Innocent people talk to the police. All of those kinds of things. Maybe you never heard the part where anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Not may be used against you. Can and will. Any lawyer worth his salt will tell you that you don't talk to the police at all. And to all the police officers listening out there, I I ain't mad at you, but I don't answer questions. I get pulled over. You can get my license. You can get the, uh, the insurance. I'm not telling you where I'm going. I'm not telling you how fast I thought I was going. I'm not engaging in small talk. Don't ask me how my day was. I'm not answering your questions because I don't answer questions. Because if you answer a question, well, then you're answering questions. It is very difficult not to answer questions because we're people who like to talk. It's what we do. We share. We explain. That's not what an officer is trained to do. An officer is trained to find the thing that gets you in trouble. An officer could disagree with me on this, but they'd be wrong. Now, maybe that's something we need to change in policing. Worthy of a conversation. But in this conversation, it's about the political left making sure you don't get to say anything in the public square. They don't believe in free speech. They believe that you are guilty for the things that you say, what they call hate speech. And they want to stop you before you're allowed to even have a conversation. They want to eliminate civility and do that through packing the court. We're at the place where, okay, it's two Americas. You know what? Maybe we should split. Maybe the divorce is necessary. You guys pick the North, the South, the East, or the West, right? This is a theory from from my brother, uh, the good Dr. Katz. You pick. And you pick one side and we'll pick the other. 
Right? We'll take the other. You pick the side, we'll take the other side. In two years, you'll be digging under our fences looking for food. That's his, that's his theory. It's a good theory. Oh, it's a good theory. How do, how, do you, how do you propose to live in some kind of peace and understanding with people who violently oppose the very concept of civility and radically embrace the concepts of barrier? How do you do that? And while you're thinking about it, take a look at the proposed legislation to pack the courts. And remember that when Joe Biden wouldn't answer the question, this was the plan all along. I'm Tony Katz.